For podcasts, articles, and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Martin McCloskey. On Fire. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Mark McCloskey on Fire. We've had a little bit of a scheduling snafu here today. Uh, we were supposed to have Colonel Douglas McGregor on the show today, and he uh, was all lined up to be here at uh, 3 o'clock Central Time. And at about 3.05 this afternoon, his agent wrote and said, Oops, my mistake. We're going to have to reschedule. So I'll, I'll play both parts here today. I'll be just like Clint Eastwood interviewing the empty chair at the Republic, Republican convention uh, eight years or so ago. So you know what I was going to talk about with Colonel McGregor, and I will when I get a chance, is uh, what happens when this war against Hamas starts to heat up. And, you know, uh, we've had a ceasefire and a, and a prisoner and hostage exchange. But then right in the middle of the hostage exchange, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu goes on television and says, as soon as we're done exchanging hostages, we're going to go back and blow the crap out of uh, Hamas again. We're going to wipe them out. Well, the problem, of course, is that there's 2 million civilians there. And the problem, of course, is that uh, world sentiment is turning against Israel uh, on the potential for genocidal slaughter of the, uh, you know, Gazans in, uh, in, in the Gaza Strip. And it, if Israel is going to fulfill its uh, stated task of eliminating Hamas, it's going to have a very hard time doing that without killing a very, very large number of innocent women and children. You know, no one hates the World Health Organization more than I do. No one believes that the World Health Organization is anything more than just a stooge uh, loss for the, or a leader for the uh, you know, eventual single-world Klaus Schwab socialist government of having nothing and being happy. But the World Health Organization says that more people are going to die in Gaza from disease than from direct military violence. And I can see that. you got 2 million people crammed in this little tiny strip of desert where they've been blocked out of food and water and medicine and basically every possible part of uh, what's necessary to stay alive since October 7th and uh, you know, it's difficult to survive under those circumstances. Now, the Gaza Strip has been, and even before this, this October 7th uh, raid on Israel, the world's largest open-air prison. It's a concentration camp, totally controlled by Israel, totally enclosed by Israel, uh, and with, with no independent means of accessing any kind of supplies. So as of the last time I, I uh, tuned into Al Jazeera, there was something in the order of maybe 20,000 civilians killed in the Gaza Strip. That number will multiply by at least a decimal point, if not more, before this is over. On top of that, you're going to have an equal number of dead Gazans as a result of disease and, and starvation and dehydration and every other bad thing that can happen to you, the vast majority of which are kids. 43.5% of the population of the Gaza Strip are kids under the age of 14. Median age for the entire population of the Gazans is 18. 
meaning that what we have is a population of kids that are going to be getting starved to death, die of thirst, die of disease, and die of bombs and machine gun fire before all this is over. And so you got to ask yourself, is this a reasonable thing for the United States government to be supporting? Sure, the United States has got an ally in Israel. Sure, Allah, uh, Israel, as we're told, about 8 million times every day by the mainstream media and by the so-called conservative media of Fox and Newsmax is our best ally. And sure, you've got people running for president of the United States like Nikki Haley that will say an attack on Israel is an attack on the United States, which, of course, is complete nonsense. An attack on Israel is not an attack on the United States. Although the death of what originally it was 700 and then it became 1,200 and then eventually 1,400, and now we're talking, I think they were told, 1,500 Israeli men, women, and children is, is, a, is a terrible, terrible thing. But it is not something worth getting involved in World War III over. Now somebody's adjusting my light now. Have I seen the light? Am I, gonna get, am I getting brighter? It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be very hard for me to get brighter, I can tell you that. Um, but here's the thing, right? You got 1,500 Israelis that were murdered by Hamas terrorists. This is a bad thing, but it's not worth World War III, okay? It's not even worth the uh, regional conflict, which it has every aspect of becoming. So you got to look at the real picture here. You've got, you've got Muslims, you've got Christians living in, in the Gaza Strip. They're going to be killed wholesale in large numbers by a variety of factors. But then you've got other Arab players and other Muslim players in the, uh, in the immediate vicinity. You've got the country of Turkey. Turkey has now become a, uh, it wants to be the world leader of the Sunni Muslims. You've got the president of uh, Turkey, Ergodon, if I'm pronouncing his name right, which I never can, um, who wants to become the champion of the Sunni Muslim world. Turkey is a country of nine 90 million people. They've got a standing army of over 1 million. They can draw up reserves to where they'll have an army of 2 million. It's about, oh, 800 kilometers or so from uh, Turkey to the first major city in Israel. Uh, let's say that the, the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are starting to get murdered in, in large numbers or starving to death. Do you think that Turkey is going to stand by and let that happen? when they can otherwise become champions of the Islamic people. If um, a couple of million, or let's say just one million Turks, by the way, they've got a large and uh, well-funded and well-organized military. And by the way, um, oh gosh, I just got dimmer again. Um, anyway, we're, we are, ladies and gentlemen, this is our first day in the new studios here at News Talk STL. And so my my illustrious uh, producer, Ken, has been playing with my equipment whilst I've been on the air here, turning lights on and off in my face. Um, but anyway, so let's say we have a million Turks. By the way, I, you know, I, I know some Turkish soldiers. The first Turkish soldier I met, the guy's like six and a half feet tall, 270 pounds of muscle. He's got this square beard like some kind of, of sculpture from ancient Persia, which I'm irritating him by calling, referencing a Turk in the same breath as, as the uh, Persians. Um, but at that time, they had 800,000 men in arms in Turkey, and he guaranteed me that they're all, you know, like him, big, tough, ready-to-fight guys. What if a million of those guys with tanks and armor start moving south from Turkey across Syria into Israel? Do you think Israel 
with hundreds of nuclear weapons, with uh, a uh, huge force, isn't going to go and confront the Turkish army somewhere in the Syrian desert. Let's say they lob a couple of uh, tactical, as they say, tactical nuclear weapons at the Turkish army. Tactical nuclear weapons today are much bigger than the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki back in 1945. These are weapons of enormous destructive force. And then there are other people in the theater out there who uh, might like to get involved. And, uh, for example, there's Iran. Iran has got another 90 million people, okay, 90 million people. And uh, they've got another 1 million people or so under arms and a huge reserve force as well. All you know, And, and as we uh, have discussed previously, these people are all you know, folks that believe that their cause is just, that Israel shouldn't exist, and that it needs to be eliminated. And uh, because of our support for Israel, their hatred for the United States is as strong as their hatred for Israel. So let's say you got you got a million people in the Turkish army that want to eliminate Israel and come to the aid of their uh, Gazan brothers, and you got a million Iranian soldiers coming in from from the uh, from the the east, um, and you've got Israel sitting there uh, deciding whether or not to use nuclear weapons to defend itself, and then you've got the United States of America, where every political party, every pundit on television, everybody is saying that an attack on Israel is like an attack on the United States. We've got two carrier strike groups now in the Mediterranean. We've got the um, Eisenhower strike group in the Persian Gulf. We've got uh, 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 ground troops probably ready to go, right? What happens when we move in? Well, who supports Iran? Well, the Russians support Iran, Russians have another, you know, million four in their armed forces. They're the uh, largest, uh, so the largest owner of nuclear weapons in the world. They've got hypersonic missiles. You know what what aircraft carriers are these days? Aircraft carriers are big, slow-moving targets. They are uh, they are not, uh, you know, the 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 thing that's going to save you in an all-out war because they will be easily destroyed and irreplaceable because they're enormously expensive. And all my rambling around gets back to this. Why is our government supporting Israel in a war that should not become a regional war? Same reason we're supporting Ukraine in a war in Europe, which should not we should not be supporting, because there are powers that be in our country that wake up every day saying, what we want more than anything else in the world is a war with Russia. We want to destroy Russia. We want to... De- depose Putin, and then do what? Do the same thing that we did so successfully in Vietnam, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and that is eliminate the existing government and replace it with something much, much worse and much, much more un-American or anti-American. But there are people out there, and uh, they come from every possible source in the, in the Uniparty, in, the, uh, uni- in the, the government that seeks to destroy the United States as, as a traditional Western republic that want more than anything in the world to engage us in a global war with Russia and inevitably China as well. There are forces out there, and you can name them. One of them died this week, and his name was Henry Kissinger that believed in a single world global government uh, who want more than anything else to depopulate the world, 
to destabilize the world and replace the existing governance of the world with a single world socialist government, and a world run by the elites with a vast, vastly reduced population of uh, absolutely controlled serfs. And you have the combination, and now I'll, I'll wax a little philosophic on you. you got a situation where let's, let's assume that the powers that be are successful in eliminating seven-eighths of the population of the world, reducing the world population to 500 million people, creating an absolutely controlled military dictatorship of the elites in, in combination with artificial intelligence, where now the, the things that control your life, the intermediary between the elites that run the world and the coercive force that keeps those 500 million slaves in place are not human beings, but are artificial intelligence, AI automatons that are going to direct your life, those of us who are still alive for the remainder of our human existence. The problem is, of course, that those elites, those people that think they can control that genie of artificial intelligence once it gets out of the bottle, are doing nothing but deceiving themselves, confusing themselves, and maintaining a false hope. Because, ladies and gentlemen, when they get done killing the rest of us and enslaving us and using AI to assist them in reducing the planet to one giant concentration camp of defenseless slaves, guess who's going to join that mix? That's going to be those uh, uh, elitists that think they know better than us, that think they're smarter than us, that think they can run the world better than us, and think that they can control the monster that they're going to unleash on us. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way to stop all that, and that's to end all of this right now, to refuse to commit our, our resources to trying to provoke a war with forces that will destroy us and keep us from engaging in the unlimited support of the corrupt and, uh, and leftist government in Ukraine, keep us from provoking a regional, if not world war, in defense of Israel, Engage in some sense. Engage in some, in some sensible process of preserving our republic, preserving our independence, preserving the freedom that we've come to know in the United States, devoting the funds that we would otherwise send to Central Europe or to the Middle East to do things like seal our border, defend our people, feed, clothe, and educate our people, and provide an environment where the citizens of the United States can do for themselves without having to worry about taking care of the entire world at our expense and at the expense not just of our money and our blood and our soldiers, but our basic freedoms. When I get back, I will introduce my next guest, which will look an awful lot like my last guest, because that'll be me again. We'll be back in just a minute. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. More Mark McCloskey on fire coming up on News Talk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on fire. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on fire on News Talk STL. 
All right. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is Mark McCloskey imitating Clint Eastwood, interviewing the empty chair here today. Uh, you know, I was going to talk to uh, Colonel McGregor about uh, about Ukraine. All right. Uh, you, those of you who pay attention to uh, Tucker Carlson's new program probably saw about three months ago when he had uh, Colonel McGregor on. At that point, and this is, this is old information now, three months ago, three more months of, uh, of war going on in Ukraine, and now as, as winter setting in. But as of then, Colonel McGregor said that everything that the mainstream media tells you about the war in Ukraine is an absolute lie. Ukrainians are not winning. The uh, the Ukrainians are not killing Soviet. I'm Soviet. Huh? I see how old I am. Russian soldiers at a rate of seven to one. The exact opposite is true. As of three months ago, by his estimates, four hundred thousand Ukrainian soldiers had been killed, as opposed to maybe fifty thousand Russians. Um, and 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 just think about that. Uh, four hundred thousand out of a nation the size of the Ukraine. Now, there's about 150 million uh, Russians. About 14 million of the original population of the Ukraine has already fled as refugees to other places. A large percentage of them, when being in, uh, polled, have said that they will never go back to Ukraine. So you've got a country that has been decimated population-wise by fleeing civilians, refugeeing to places less corrupt, less less uh, dangerous and less under attack by, by Russia. And you got a, almost a half a million of them three months ago that already been killed in conflict. And so you got to ask yourself, and this is a little bit very, very, very much like the first segment when I was interviewing my not guest earlier. Why? Why would we take the position that Ukraine has to get everything it wants for as long as it wants. How many people, including Lindsey Graham, have you heard on television say that we have to support Ukraine with whatever it takes for as long as it takes? And, and, and by the way, um, haven't you heard Nikki Haley say the exact same thing about Israel? How many different countries in the world can we supply with as much as they need for as long as they need it, without any regard for what it costs in the way of American dollars, in the way of uh, American military equipment, in the way of depleting our ability to defend ourselves and our citizens, but anything they need for as long as they need, because we're defending democracy. Well, there's a lot of undemocratic countries out there in the world, including, I might add now, uh, the United States of America, uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit and probably in my in my third segment where I'm actually going to be interviewing myself directly instead of my fictitious guest. Um, but all this stuff has nothing to do with Ukraine other than the fact that Joe Biden, of course, and Hunter Biden have made a lot of money out of Ukraine. And the more money we send to Ukraine, the richer we can make the, the, the corrupt officials that run Ukraine so they can be buying Lamborghinis and villas in Switzerland and in by the way, uh, Miami and, and Palm Beach, Florida, and in South America and in Mexico, whereas <laughs> or or as, uh, somebody said recently, as hard as it is to believe, the government of Ukraine is even more corrupt than the government of Mexico, right? So when they go to Mexico, when they use American billions of dollars to buy their villas in Mexico, they're going to a country that's even a less corrupt country than the one they're leaving. But, but be that as it may, the end result of all this, the goal of all this, in my humble opinion, of both our unlimited support for Ukraine and our unlimited support for Israel in two hot spots 
where the end result is going to be direct conflict with Russia is because there are people out there that want nothing more than war with Russia. And why? Well, some of them have uh, um, ancestral vendettas against the Russians. There were the things in the eighteen in the eighteen hundreds and and early nineteen hundreds, um, well, nineteen uh, hundreds and early twentieth century, that uh, were called pogroms. They were annihilation campaigns by the Tsarist Russians, and then later on uh, in the Soviet Union uh, against the Jewish population of Russia. There, there was there was and and there may still be tremendous animosity uh, towards the Russians by by people of, of Jewish descent coming out of Russia. But I don't think that's it. I think the major part of it is that the the um, the the Uniparty, the party of, of war for all and war for all, forever, uh, makes a huge amount of money out of war. That the more they can keep us constantly at war, the more they can keep that military industrial complex going, the more money they can make for their lobbyists or the, for the uh, the employers of their lobbyists. And so, you know, I, I've probably said this on this program before. My uh, my favorite cartoon, which I used to have on the wall of my office, had a uh, a father talking to his school aged daughter, saying, "Who does a congressman work for?" And she says, "The people." And he says, "Well, let me rephrase the question. Let's assume you've got a job that pays one hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year, but only lasts two years, but it costs you fifty million dollars to get that job. Now, who does a congressman work for?" And she says, "The highest bidder." And that's that's of course exactly the case. And so you've got you got to ask yourself. Now I ran for Senate, okay? So I'm going to be uh, implicating myself here, maybe. But what kind of people become politicians? Are they the best and the brightest? Are they the Elon Musk's of the world, or are they really mostly people that can't get a legitimate job, have never had a private sector job, that think that making one hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year and getting to go to D.C. and and smoke cigars at cigar bars and hang out and drink scotch with other government officials and with lobbyists, think that's a that's a big improvement in their lives, and they will want to hang on to that position of, with with every last breath they have and resist anything that might cause them to lose re-election or step up that ladder to the next ladder up, level up. If you're, a con- if you're in the United States House of Representatives, there's nothing you dream of every night more than becoming a senator or the head of a committee. And if you're in the United States Senate, there's nothing you dream of more every night than becoming president of the United States. And how do you keep from getting voted out of office? Money. Where does that money come from? lobbyists. Where do the lobbyists get their money from? Big corporations, big tech, big pharma, big oil, big everything. Because the only way to get in office is to spend a lot of money. The only way to get a lot of money is to have lobbyists that support you and super PACs that support you. And the money that comes in from those super PACs comes from the billionaire class, comes from big pharma, comes from big tech, comes from those people that adhere to the concept that they know better than we do, that people shouldn't be allowed to have a say in their government, that people should have only a pretend say in their government because the people that you're allowed to vote for are the people that have been pre-selected to be your candidates. 
so that you never get a chance to vote for anybody. And when in this context, think about what they're doing now to try to c- prevent you from having an option of voting for Donald Trump. Okay, think about that. It's the same on every level. Think about the fact that Matt Gates has been under investigation by the uh, House Ethics Committee for what six years now, right? And now they're trying to draw their news closer on him. Anybody who's willing, anybody that has the misfortune, how you call it that, to get elected to office where you're not under the thumb of the powers that be, they will spend an enormous amount of time and effort to try to crush you. And I'll come back to that in just a little bit. But the problem for you and me, for ordinary citizens, is that if you don't have the backing of the big dollars, you can't get elected. If you do get elected, you're not going to get reelected Unless once you get there, you start paying your dues. And paying your dues spending as much t- means spending as much time as they tell you to spend over there at the, uh, the House office building or the Senate office buildings on the telephone raising money for the party. That's your job number one. It's not to represent the people. It's not to improve the lives of the people of the United States. It's not to improve the security of the United States or protect us against foreign enemies. It's not to secure the borders of the United States. It's not to prevent the government from seizing more and more of our God-given rights. Their number one task, your number one task, when you get elected to Congress, is to raise money for the party. And you're, 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 it's not optional. you got to do it, okay? If you don't do it, if you don't toe the line... You don't get your support, you don't get your funding, you don't get your PAC money, you don't get your lobbyists buying you lunch and buying you golf trips and taking you on vacation. And, uh, you know, how many of these people have, have normal lives? How many of these people go up to D.C.? And even if, even if you're a, a, a God-fearing, uh, constitutional-respecting, ordinary human being, you get up to D.C. and you immediately find yourself surrounded by an environment where everybody is tempting you with everything. That serpent is offering you the apple every moment of your life from the moment you get there until the moment you either have some self-respect and leave or you just buckle under and you do what they tell you to do. Well, the problem is that the people with the money, there are two categories of them. They're the people that actually are actively working against us, that actually intentionally are trying to destroy our republic, destroy our freedoms, and replace it with something that you wouldn't recognize. And then they're the people that are afraid that if they don't go along, they're not going to, their businesses are going to be destroyed. They're not going to get the lending they need to expand. They're not going to get the, the publicity that is necessary to benefit their, their shareholders. They will be crushed and destroyed if they don't knuckle under so you got two classes of big money. you got the people that are actively working to destroy us and the people that are afraid to confront it. And then you've got three categories of people that are actually politicians. you got this minuscule minority of people that get into it because they actually believe in freedom. They actually believe in self-determination. They actually believe in the things that made America great. They actually believe in the words of the Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights, and they're going to devote their lives to trying to promote those values. That's group number one. That number is so small that the powers that be can just ignore us, right? Then you got the second category. The second category are those people who are the toadies or stooges for power brokers who get elected because they're selected by the powers in their communities and in their states to run for office so they can be absolutely and totally controlled and do whatever their boss is saying. 
And then there's a third category, and that's the uh, the hedge fund candidates. Those are the the billionaires that have made themselves a lot of money and decide that now they they've got nothing better to do with their lives, so they might as well become politicians. But those are also the people who have to answer to the to the big dollar packs because they have companies, they have investments, they have an opportunity to either do what they're told and go along with a party line or be destroyed themselves. So only one human being in recent memory who's had the guts to actually stand up to all this stuff. And, you know, I've been kind of ambivalent about this guy since the federal government started shoveling billions of, of year dollars and mine into his startups uh, because he was politically correct at those, in those days. And that's Elon Musk. People remember when Elon Musk was starting Tesla when the uh, darling boy of the darling industry of electric vehicles started getting billions and billions of dollars shoved at him by the federal government to promote his Tesla car company. Well, an interesting happened with Mr. Musk, and that is that all of a sudden he became the richest guy in the world. And now he's got enough money, he doesn't give a poop anymore, okay? He, he is no longer, in the words of G. Gordon Liddy, no longer subject to intimidation. So he's being interviewed about some of the things that he's said and done and uh, being uh, 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 questioned about how his advertising on X, formerly known as Twitter, where, by the way, you can find this fine program, Mark McCloskey on fire, at McCloskey USA, cheap uh, commercial plug for myself. Um, but he was being questioned about, aren't you afraid of losing all these advertisers because they don't like what you're saying on X? And they don't like the direction that X is heading, meaning away from the left and towards actual freedom of speech. Elon Musk looks right in the camera and says, if they don't like X, go F yourself. They say, well, aren't you afraid that it's going to destroy your company? Well, if they, if they, don't, want, they don't like Twitter, if they don't like X, tell them to go F themselves. And he looks right in the camera and says, go F yourself. And so the commentator says, well, aren't you afraid that they're going to say that, that you've destroyed your, your, your company destroyed X? The answer is no. That the answer is that those advertisers, those big corporations, are so intent on selling their propaganda, so intent on selling their leftist vision of the future, this transgender world. And by transgender world, I don't just mean human beings that wish to mutilate their bodies, but a world where everything is upside down, where everything you're told is a lie, where everything you believe in you're not allowed to do, where everything you say, unless you tow the party line, can land you in jail, can land you in the gulag in D.C., can land you in the land of persecution where the process of defending yourself bankrupts you. Um, that's what's going to destroy X, if anything does and destroy the companies that refuse to advertise on X because just like Disney, they're all willing to take a hit in the bottom line to damage their shareholders for the sake of selling leftist propaganda because, once again, round circle, the end result of all this is these folks believe that when the end comes, that when they have destroyed their, our civilization, that when they have reduced us all to a slave society, that they will have absolute power, that they will be on top, and they won't need shareholders anymore because they'll be the absolute bosses. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to keep them from doing that. How about that, huh? When I come back, we're going to do the review of this week in, in uh, politics, and, uh, you know, it's been an interesting week. We'll see you all in just a second. 
Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com. Mark McCloskey on Fire. You're listening to Mark McCloskey on Fire on Newstalk STL. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Mark McCloskey on fire. News Talk STL 101.9. Well, I've had kind of an interesting week. Um, We, uh, you know, Patty and I have been interviewed by people from all over the world. We've been on countless, uh, you know, United States television programs and radio programs and uh, all over the country. But we've also been interviewed by people from all over the world. We've done interviews with Spanish television and German television and English television and Polish television twice, and I think the only place I've refused to give interviews is in for Chinese uh, communist uh, television, and uh, during the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, I uh, turned on an opportunity for Russian television because I thought it wouldn't help uh, Donald Trump any to have me on Russian television when the big lie of the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax was being used against him. But we had some people come in from the Netherlands this week, um, from Amsterdam Public Radio, I think. To interview us. And you know, when you talk to people who believe they live in a free country and you start asking them questions about how free do you think your country really is, when they've been born and bred in a country where freedom means the freedom to do what you're allowed to do by the government, they can't understand the concept of real freedom. So, you know, one of the guys who was interviewing me was half Irish and he'd, he'd spend some time living in Ireland. And so I was asking about the current riots in Dublin as a result of some um, Albanian guy who uh, um, started stabbing people, and then there were big riots. And then some people had the guts to stand up and say maybe immigration in uh, Ireland has gotten out of hand and maybe we should limit immigration into Ireland because this is causing this kind of uh, criminal behavior. Well, one of those guys was a uh, champion uh, mixed martial arts guy whose name I won't mention, but you know who I'm talking about, and he's going to get arrested. He's being investigated by the Irish authorities for hate speech, for saying something which is obviously true, but is now against the law in Ireland to utter. And so I was saying to uh, this guy who is half Irish uh, and half Dutch who's interviewing me, well, you've got the same laws in Holland, don't you? that it's against the law to say certain things. And he says, oh, no, there's, there's, you can say whatever you want in, in, in Holland. I said, really? I thought you guys had hate speech laws there where you get arrested if you say anything that's not uh, in conformity with the governmental edicts. He says, well, yeah, but you get to see a judge, and the judge will let you off maybe. Well, I said, well, you, you still get arrested, don't you? He says, yeah. And I said, well, who do you think the police work for? And he says, well, the, the, the government. I said, so if you say something that the government doesn't like, the police will arrest you, right? Yes. And, he, and I say, well, isn't that like, you know, like an invasion of your freedom of speech? Well, no, because then you get to go and talk to the judge. So well, who do you think the judge works for? Okay. There are two guys here, right? Two of them interviewing me. And they look at each other and I ask, well, he, how, how do your judges, you know, become judges in, in, in Holland? They look at you, you know, how, 
they had no idea, right? But they were certain that even though if you say the wrong thing in Holland and the police come and haul you away, that that's freedom of speech because you subsequently get to talk to a judge and he might find out that you don't have to go to jail. And that's their concept of freedom. So one of the guys interviewing me, and I'm talking about the concept of limited government and how you have to keep the government from having more power. This was a, this was a conversation that originated out of uh, uh, gun control because, of course, over there, nobody's allowed to have a gun. Nobody has a gun, and they have the freedom to do exactly what they're told or else. You know, this is, this is once again, my uh, Klaus Schwab uh, version of, of reality, and that is you can, you can say whatever you want to as long as it agrees with the government. You can have whatever you want as long as the government allows you to have it, and that, that's the defini- definition of freedom. So we're talking about that. I'm talking about, well, if, the, if you don't like what the government's doing in Holland and you don't have any guns, how do you do anything? Well, and he looks at me and he says, what's wrong with the government having more power? Then there. You know, maybe, maybe having been born and raised in the United States, that question is so odd that it's hard for me to respond to. So I said this. I said, you know, every organization, no matter how small, whether it's a, a, a not-for-profit charitable organization or the United States of America, every organization, its primary goal is to get bigger and spend more money so it can, it can justify a bigger budget next year and a bigger entity next year. And governments are exactly the same. And the more power you give them, the more power they want. And the more rights they take away from the citizens, the more power they have. Power is a zero-sum game. In this country, when it was formed, the, uh, the founding fathers gave a little tiny bit, little tiny bit of our freedoms to a central government limited by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And the Tenth Amendment says all powers not specifically granted to the federal government or prohibited to the states belong to the states or to the people. Right? That was our government. It was a government designed to protect the people against the power of government. No one else other than the United States ever had a government where the seminal documents were designed for that one purpose, and that's to limit government and to protect people against the excess of the government. I guarantee you, you can count on one hand the number of people in the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives that really believe that today. The number of people, number of people out there who would actually say that our government has grown so enormous and so powerful that the founding fathers would not recognize it. The kind of representation with taxation without representation that brought about the American Revolution, the kind of governmental control being exercised by George III of England over the American colonists in 1775 was so minuscule compared to the type of control that our government has over us today that the founding fathers would not recognize this United States as any kind of, of offspring of the government that they founded in 1775 or under the Constitution of 1789. They would not recognize this as the United States of America. And ladies and gentlemen, when our children grow up in this, we have to prevent them from becoming like my good friends from Amsterdam Public Radio that have forgotten what freedom actually is, forgotten what God-given rights are. We need to right now take a stand for freedom and throw off this yoke of, of this single 
world socialist government, throw off this yoke of the rhinos, throw off this yoke of the uniparty, and throw off the vast majority of the federal government, eliminate. You know, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporter. I'm going to be on the Trump campaign. But I like one thing that uh, that Vivek Ramaswamy has to say, and that is fire 75% of everybody in the federal government, clean house, and let's start over. And I guarantee you, when we reelect Donald J. Trump, he's going to do exactly that. There's going to be a wholesale clean out of the federal government from top to bottom. It's going to be replaced with people that actually believe in our free republic, actually believe in limited government, actually believe in putting the people of America first. Well, so that's that. That was my insight into what the rest of the world may think about uh, about freedom. But you know, on that topic, let's talk about. I mentioned in the last segment about how we are no longer a free country. The Court of Appeals in New York just upheld a rule, um, an edict, if you will, of the governor of New York. It's uh, it's a rule. I'll get you the exact number here: two point one three on isolation and quarantine procedures. State of New York has now declared that it has the right, and the courts of appeal in New York have declared that they have the right to declare, oh gosh, what's it called? A highly contagious communicable disease emergency. Without definition of what that is, but if the director of health declares a highly contagious communicable disease status, they can haul you out of your house, they can isolate you, they can, oh, what's my favorite phrase? My favorite phrase is that they can put you in isolation locations, which may include home isolation or such residential or temporary housing locations that the public health authority um, may deem appropriate, i.e. concentration camps, for as long as they want, without any hope of release, without any limitation to age, gender, duration, or anything else, you get a right to subsequently talk to the judge about it, just like my little Dutch friends would be so proud about. But they can haul you out of your house, put you in a concentration camp, deny you 100% of your rights for as long as they want to. And this is what the governor of New York thinks the United States should look like. This is what the Court of Appeals in New York thinks the United States should look like. That unelected bureaucrats for which there is to whom there is no recourse or from whom there is no recourse, can haul you and your family out of your house, throw you in, in quarantine and isolation for as long as they damn well please, and then someday down the road, should you live to so do, you get to ask some judge to let your ass out of the concentration camp. All right, that's freedom. That's the United States, according to the governor of New York and the Court of Appeals in New York. Well, you know, I... You know, you just you just can't make this stuff up. So I'm running a little short on time, but one of the things I wanted to talk about today was uh, the death this week of Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger is being lauded throughout the media and particularly by um, some of my conservative cohorts as being the greatest diplomat in the history of the world. Makes Winston Churchill look like a piker. Well, i got to tell you, I've got a slightly different view, and I'm old enough to remember Winston uh, Henry Kissinger is a guy that expanded the war in Vietnam, expanded the Vietnam War into Cambodia, and then through his genius in negotiation skills and his genius as a diplomat had us, guess what, surrender 
Vietnam to the communists engaging in the wholesale slaughter of the people who we spent 57,000 American lives defending. Okay, we walked away. We make big stink right now about uh, Joe Biden abandoning Afghanistan and causing the death of 13 patriotic American soldiers. And by God, that's a horrible thing. But we lost 57,000 people and more in Vietnam just to walk away, resulting in the death of millions, millions of people afterwards in Vietnam and Cambodia, mostly for the crime of supporting the United States in this war that Henry Kissinger was mostly responsible for. He then... Being the globalist that he was, he opened up China, right? He started a new relationship between the United States and China so we could grow China into a democratic nation, grow China into freedom. Well, we grew China into a communist entity that seeks to destroy us all. So thank you, Henry Kissinger. Thank you, greatest diplomat in the history of the world. And by the way, in one other little token, his negotiations to bring about peace in the Middle East and set up this uh, um, uh, two-state scenario that we now have. If you want to think that these people are always thinking 10 steps down the road, Henry Kissinger, in negotiating those accords back in the 70s, created the framework for the war in the Middle East that we have right now. So far from being, in my humble mind, the greatest diplomat in the history of the world, he was one of the greatest leaders of this uniparty, one-world globalist push. And I'm glad that uh, that he got old. Not glad that he's dead. We should never wish the ill on the dead, but he can't do us any more harm. See you next week, ladies and gentlemen. Get more Mark McCloskey at NewstalkSTL.com. This is Mark McCloskey on Fire on News Talk STL. For podcast articles and more, find us on NewstalkSTL.com.